you can accomplish the same thing with both. It's just going to look a little different and have different characteristics. I mean, okay. you can have a predictable Kanban team if you're delivering, you know, within a predictable set of SLAs that are mm-hmm. aligned to your, your actual cycle times, you know, that's, that is as reliable as a scrum team that commits to, um, you know, a, a set of points every two weeks that's based upon you know, yesterday's weather. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile's Sound Notes. So Tom Furland is here. Tom, thank you for making time this evening. Thanks for having me, Dave. And we're going to talk all about... I don't even know how to explain this topic. We're going to talk about Kanban. We're going to talk about what happens when you put in an enterprise and how things can get a little bit weird with the tracking of the work. And we're not coming down pro or con. It's more of an exploration, right? Yep. We would like people to consider these things when they're talking about how they're going to do it. Um, so before we get into this topic, would you mind giving these folks a little bit of a rundown on who you are? I don't think we've done a podcast since we talked about Disney. So, oh yeah, it's been it's been a, <laughs> it's long been a while. Time, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm Tom Furland. I'm a managing consultant with Leading Agile. I've been with the company you know almost five years now, um, and um, yeah, I help uh, help organizations implement change, generally focused around um, how they bring Agile in various forms and flavors to their systems. All right. Thank you. Um, And I ran into a problem recently that I had to call and ask for Tom's help with because I have a client who is a large, big enterprise, tons of teams, most of them doing Scrum, but some of them doing Kanban and trying to figure out how to track the work at the program and portfolio level seemed to me to be causing some issues. So um, since you ran into that problem first, would you mind kind of like walking through like the setup for it? Because you ran into it at another client. Yeah, so I was working in a client that had a, um, they wanted to do Agile in a professional services context. So what that means is basically they would have um, standard offerings within the enterprise, but they they had a unit within their, their uh, company that was dedicated to customizing solutions that were so that they were no longer off the shelf solutions to be able to fit the needs of various um, enterprise class customers that could not deal with, you know, just something off the shelf. Um, So for them to do that, they had, um, you know, a lot of their work was not necessarily development. It was the managing of things like in many cases, like similar to what we do in consulting of, like managing statements of work and, you know, the, the, uh, administrative intake. Yeah, exactly. So the, you know, the intake of clients, the turning around of contracts, the, the, you know, weights and the, um, the bottlenecks and things that they have that in many cases they don't really have any control over because they're completely external to the company. Um, so they wanted to go, agile and it was pretty clear just you know even looking at them from the surface level that this was not going to be something where you can just go in and you know kind of (laughs) install it and hope for the best yeah standard like 
hey, let's go teach them Scrum and let's see what happens. I mean, that yeah. would have been setting them up to fail pretty massively. Okay. Would have introduced a lot of pain into their system. So um, we decided pretty quickly that they were going to have more of a Kanban approach. So, okay. um, you know, really the emphasis there is um, if you're not familiar with the difference, Kanban is, you know, less of a prescriptive uh, framework like scrum is scrum you know you have a scrum guide that lays out roles lays out you know ceremonies mm-hmm. lays out cadences and artifacts and things like Time that boxes, fairly, yeah fairly yeah fairly prescriptively kanban is more of a you know something that can be applied to a variety of different contexts did not come from the it world at all has its you know origins back in um you know the the toyota executives going and looking at how they stock supermarket shelves. So, yeah. you know, it, it can really be applied to a lot of, a lot of different domains. And the emphasis is on, you know, just a few principles like measuring and managing flow, making your workflow um, visual, okay. um, you know, having explicit process, uh, process policies and things like that, that, you know, aren't terribly hard, but the devil is really in the details yeah. and, you know, to go implement those things. And, um, to do it in a way where it's not just going to turn into a glorified state tracker that doesn't really improve anything. Which so, happens, I, that happens more yeah. often than not. Yeah, I mean, that that is the biggest failure mode for teams that try to go Kanban because they don't want Scrum to work for them, uh, or not because they don't want Scrum to work for them, but because they, you know, Scrum is not going to work for them um, for whatever reason, is they decide to go Kanban, but there are, constraints and disciplines around Kanban that they need to be cognizant of. And those are kind of hard to do. So many yeah. times they just kind of end up being, you know, pushed off to the side when it becomes, uh, or when it becomes hard to move things forward. So, so, so if you, if you're doing Kanban and all you're doing is using it to move cards from like ready to doing to done, it's kind of like you bought a Ferrari and you're driving it at 25 miles an hour down the road. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, it really is. I mean, you're, you're not going to see any of the benefit that, you, that comes from, you know, being able to actually identify where the constraints in your system are, subordinate your flow to your constraints, exploit those constraints and begin to, you know, limit your whip and see throughput increases. Yeah. So, I, all right. So now I want to talk about my client because what I had was. This client has probably like 50 teams and most of them are doing Scrum and they wanted a way to track work across the teams and to compare teams at the program and portfolio level. So they implemented this system where they have like basically common states of work that the work is going to flow through, which is fine if you're doing Scrum, but not so fine if you've got like 10 teams that are doing Kanban and one of the things that, I mean, I started working with some of these teams and I'm like, okay, we have to do a value stream map. We have to understand the different states of work and all the different steps that the work flows through. And I learned that like in a particular column, there might be like five or six different states in that column. And that was super confusing for me. And I assumed for them and I'm like, well, look, you're going to have to like, you know, Kanban meet you where you are. You have to map out your workflow, understand how the stuff is moving, understand what things must be true before we move from one state to the next and then track the flow and optimize the flow. But they're stuck in a thing where they can only use these certain columns. 
Yeah. Um, and you're really kind of dealing with a tension that you run into when you apply Kanban in an enterprise environment around, you know, being able to hold true to the principle of, you know, mapping out the workflow and visualizing the workflow, but within, you know, the various ALM tools, whether you're talking about Jira or um, Azure DevOps or Rally or, you know, version one, whatever you're doing there, um, being able to actually administer all of those different uh, workflows within the tool. Um, so you, you kind of have this, this choose your hard situation there where you either have to create the conditions such that you can delegate down the ability to administer things locally and you have a whole bunch of different administrators and some complexity around permissioning and, you know, layered logic going behind all of that, um, that, you know, has its own issues, um, when it comes to trying to make change or trying to, you know, maintain or update those or, having to come up with some level of abstraction of the workflow that works for everybody. Yeah. So I want to, you just brought up something I hadn't really thought about before. So I was so wrapped around the axle of coming to this with the intent of, I want this team to understand how they work. I want them to understand, you know, how work is moving, where it's getting stuck. And I want them to take ownership of driving the change to, help their system improve so they become students which to me is the whole point of of this way of working you become a student of your own way of working and you work to optimize that but they can't do that if they can't put in the states that the work is moving through i hadn't even really considered the fact that they're using jira that that would mean that they'd have to have their own jira admin just for their team pretty much yeah yeah so the, the client that i was at actually had, you know, because of the way that things were kind of emerging with Jira and the enterprise and the size of the area where things are working, you know, we had the ability to do that kind of thing, to actually have some more localized permissions that were fairly limited and have the ability to upkeep it because we weren't talking about, you know, having to maintain this over, you know, 50,000, 100,000 users, something like that, you know, or even, you know, tens of thousands of users. It's, it's, we're talking, you know, hundreds and, Mm -hmm. you know, a handful of different work areas, um, within this client. Um, so for an area like this professional services, it might even make sense, even within a larger enterprise environment to carve out an exception for them, Mm -hmm. but because they are just like so unique and within, within that enterprise, but, you know, you also can't carve out an exception for everybody. Right. So So in this case, it would be like an exception for 10 teams. And I'm also thinking like, if I'm a business owner, I mean, 10 teams out of like 50, like, can we just like let those teams twist and have a hard time with this? Because is it really, is it worth the business hassle of hiring a bunch of special admins just for these teams? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it is a completely valid like concern from a you know running a business standpoint yeah. from a still needing to be like profitable and to you know hit our, our margin targets and to hit our um, you know our uh, uh, 
our hurdle rates and things like that when we are, you know, operating in an environment with a lot of different teams sharing a lot of different resources. And, you know, and it's not exclusive to Kanban, but Kanban does tend to expose it fairly well. I mean, we're, we're seeing it at the client I'm at right now, you know, with scrum implementations just around things like, well, how do you satisfy, you know, everybody with, um, having required fields, right. Yeah. Things like that. And, you know, some of the layered logic around that. So, I mean, there, there are, there are concerns that you have to balance. There are trade-offs that you have to make around the willing of the, the level of complexity you are willing to accept in your administrative setup. Yeah. And then, you know, from there you have to, you know, figure out what are the things you can do now and what's kind of the path forward. And you can, you know, articulate a bit of a, a, a tooling backlog to work some of those things out that, you know, Hey, maybe we can't do complex permissions now. Maybe we can do them a little bit down the road once we yeah. kind of get the basics stood up. So, so mean, there, there are, there are ways to deal with it. It's just not necessarily easy nor immediate. Yeah. I, I, so I want to kind of keep jumping back and forth because to me, there's good. If I focus it, focus on it from the team level, there's good, but that makes it hard for the business. So if I focus on it from the business level, that's good, but it makes it hard for the team. And I don't know if there's, I mean, I guess I feel like you kind of have to pick. I, this is my favorite child or this is my favorite child because they can't both be my favorite child. It's not going to work. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily a right or wrong, but at the end of the day, you want to start with, with the end in mind of where is your, your, the design of your organization going? What problem are we trying to fix? Right. What, What are we trying to solve within our organization? We want to design our organization to be able to solve the problems that we're trying to solve for, Mm -hmm. you know, our, our clients and our customers and, and internally. And to be able to do all of that, you then want to be able to reflect those communication channels in, you know, your, your tooling. Okay. That's the whole Conway's law aspect of it. Right. So, you know, part of this is you, you design the tooling, not for where you are, you design it for where you're going. So figure that out. Okay. Then based on that, you know, what compromises are we, are you willing to accept, you know, what compromises are you willing to accept permanently? What consequent compromises are you willing to make in the short term? You know, and what yeah. compromises are, or what things do you think you're going to be able to fix, you know, over okay. time and then, you know, develop an actual strategy that goes along with your change strategy for your overall org Okay, that enables you to kind of manage this tension. Okay. So let's talk about from, from each side, like what perfect world I'll try to do the team level and tell me what I'm missing. If I wanted to give this team like total autonomy and ownership over optimizing their own flow they would be able to let's assume they're not for a second they don't Mm -hmm. have gear it's just cards on a wall so they can change stuff however they want right they map out the states of their own workflow they start to track cycle time from one state to the next and lead time they're tracking the validity of the conditions i forget what the conditions it must be true to move from one state to the next yeah, the exit policies. Yeah, exit policies. Thanks. So, so they're trying to tune that up, and they're they're just learning what their way of working is. And as yeah, they learn that, they start to see where there's bottlenecks and where whip limits can help. 
but they have control over that. They can change it if they realize, hey, we need to break this thing in two or have an escalation path or change the whip. They have full authority to do that. Yeah, that that is one of the great things about Kanban is it gives you the flexibility to adapt to changing conditions, um, you know, very, very rapidly. Um, and it doesn't necessarily constrain you with, you know, an, a, a fairly arbitrary time box, right? You can set up to, um, you know, I've, I've used it in organizations where, you know, scrum wouldn't work for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like for instance, there was one organization that had such complexity of, um, uh, of their, underlying architecture that every time they did a, a software release, they'd have to do, you know, a, a two week regression cycle. Where, yeah. You know, that's not really going to work in a scrum setting unless you right. just start, you know, having these like non value add sprints that you throw in there and you just accept that there's going to be no work done. I mean, you can compromise okay. around that or you can decide to, um, you know, just say, okay, screw the scrum thing in this situation. It's not going to work for us. The conditions don't exist. Yep. Let's map out a Kanban, figure out where our constraints are and actually make some trade-offs around. Okay. If we want to be able to move things faster, we've got to be able to like move more resources to the regression effort, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and be able to actually see some, some movement there and start, you know, measuring and manage right. flows, subordinating the constraints and seeing results. Um, you know, I've done it there. I, I mean, shoot, it can be useful in situations as simple as like my brother-in-law works for an electric company and wanted to be able to manage how he deploys, um, you know, the the electricians to different homes sure. to work on, you know, things like that to yeah. understand, you know, what where do we have tickets that have been sitting for a while, you know. You know, get to this idea of, you know, mm -hmm. what's our lead time, you know, and, and get an understanding of those kinds of things. I mean, yeah. it's, it's applicable over so many contexts that it's, you know, it, there's a, it's, it's really kind of a wonderful thing, but, you know, because of that flexibility, it's a double-edged sword. So right. perfect world. Yeah. You would be able to map out your workflow, you know, whatever that is, right. you know, cards on a wall, whatever, map out your workflow, be able to, identify, um, you know, measure your flow between states, identify mm -hmm. your constraints where things start to, you know, where your cards start to pile up, Yeah. whip limit where those constraints are so that you're, you know, not trying to, uh, to feed more paper into a jam printer. Right. Um, identify your buffers, things like that, and measure and manage your flow out of your buffers and start to see some benefit from that yeah. start to be able to continuously improve and start to move your constraint up the stack. Okay. Right. Or and accept it for what it is. And in that model, the onus for improvement is placed on the team. Yeah. It's whereas good. Yeah. It's local autonomy there. Okay. Right? So that team is given in, in a perfect world where the team is, you know, answers to itself. They have autonomy yeah. to do any of those things. But okay. You know, much like Scrum Guide, you often don't find Scrum teams that are just answering and receiving Only backlogs themselves. from, yeah. you know, a product owner, right? Okay. So in a large organization like the one I'm at, I'm working with now, they have all these teams. And I don't know if it's, I doubt that the intent is to do, to approach it this way, but there's a, 
I believe probably somewhere a perception that somebody needs to be watching over all the teams so they can figure out which teams need to be fixed, which teams are performing, which ones aren't. How do we help them? How do we help the system make it easier for them to do their work? And that takes the onus away from the teams and places it in the hands of the people upstairs. Well, yeah, I mean, there can be some of the, the you know, Taylorism mindset in there of, you know, somebody needing to manage the teams. But there's also, I mean, the, the very legitimate concern that, you know, these teams aren't funding themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody true. is, yeah. you know, investing money in in those teams and creating a system for them to be successful. And even within, you know, an, an ideally designed enterprise level agile system, you know, one of the things that we encourage at, at leading agile is you need to be able to measure the system because that's how we know whether the system is working for us. Systems yeah. produce what they're designed to produce. And if you, if your system isn't producing what it's supposed to based upon your metrics, then it's incumbent upon, you know, the leader who designed that system to change the system. Yeah. So the implication of that is when you have multi-level, systems that are created by individuals who are not, you know, down at the team level because you have nested concerns. Sure. You know, they have a very real, not just right, but responsibility to understand how that's working so that they can be able to, you know, be an effective leader. And if I was, so the thing I was thinking about when you were talking was if it was like an orchestra, right? And we were talking about a team that had full autonomy, my violin player or a violin player might decide Mm -hmm. for their own personal satisfaction or goodness or whatever, or their efficiency in playing, they're going to play at a certain tempo. Mm -hmm. But if the whole rest of the orchestra is playing at a different tempo, it's going to sound terrible. Yeah. So somebody's got to coordinate the efforts of all these groups. And in order to do that, you have to instrument the system so you can see how things are moving. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's where it does make sense to inhibit that teams, that Kanban team's ability to just design their own flow. Exactly. That's exactly it. Okay. So what does, so the, can you walk through like what the larger organization gains in doing this and what they're losing or what they're giving up? Yeah. And I, I mean, it's not, it's not anybody in the organization, you know, like, trying to be evil, right? They, they have, (laughs) they have people that they answer to, right? I mean, CEOs have a board that they answer to managers have executives that they answer to that are, you know, funding them and providing them with the capacity to go solve problems. So, you know, as a, as a manager or as a leader in a company, or even, you know, as a, a, you know, shareholder of a company, right? Um, you know, what I'm gaining from balancing these concerns in this way is I gain a system that's cohesive, that now I can understand when it's working and when it's not, right? I can understand when I'm getting results and when I'm not. And that empowers me to be able to make decisions that are informed and not just based off of, you know, sticking my finger up in the wind or based off of who's yelling the loudest or, you know, anything like that. But you're not, I mean, you're looking at a larger sampling, right? You're, you're not, you're not going to have any awareness down at the level we were talking about. If that team had full autonomy and they would know like, this is the one thing 
you're not necessarily going to see that at that higher level because you're looking at a bunch of teams in aggregate to try to see where the thing's breaking down. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you're generally looking in aggregate. You still want the ability to get signal down from the local level. You want that signal to be relevant signal, right, right. and not noise. So, you know, if we have you know significant evidence coming from, you know, even down at the delivery team level that something that we're building is, you know, not actually helping us implement our strategy with our customers and markets, we need the ability to know that that's happening and change direction. You know, and part okay. of that is how you instrument the system. But, you know, there's also some qualitative aspects to that too, where, you know, if you have people that are, you know, at a low level and they're realizing, you know, Hey, this thing isn't feasible or this thing that we designed is, you know, actually going to cause some runaway cost or something like that. Yeah, we've got to be able to raise our hand and get that up the stack. Yeah. So do you think there um, there are instances where it would make sense for basically the company to say, all right, all the scrum teams, you're all going to follow this thing, but we're going to cut off all the Kanban teams. You're going to go do your own thing over there, and we'll look at you separately from the scrum teams because we want you to have that. I mean, can you see where a company might decide to give them the level of autonomy they want? Maybe have a Jira admin yeah. for the Kanban teams and then one yeah, for the I mean, Scrum teams? That would absolutely be a valid approach. It's, it's again, it's just a trade-off that you're making there. It's, yeah. do, you, you know, do you want to hire another admin and have them, you know, or dedicate another admin to solving that internal problem within your organization? Is that, you know, justifiable? Okay. Right? Or is it, you know well, we don't have enough Kanban teams. They're not really experiencing enough pain that yeah. makes it worth fixing it. Yeah. Right. So not worth and, squeeze. and that, you know, that happens, um, you know, it may not be the best for those teams, but you know, part of being in a, a corporate environment is they make yeah. trade-offs. People are going to make trade-offs and they're somebody's got to be the pinky toe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay. So one last question on this thing. Uh, it's really a two-part question, though. If you are working with a company that's trying to understand performance of scrum teams, let's say 50 scrum teams in the in the entire company, what are the key metrics that you want to pay attention to? And then I have the same question about Kanban teams. Well, some of that some of that depends upon the conditions of your organization, but generally, right. when you're standing up a scrum team. You know, you want to look first to, are they predictable? Can they make and meet commitments? Okay. Right. And then once you have a stable, predictable system, you can start to do some things to try and, or try and uh, alleviate some of the constraints in your system and increase your throughput, lower your cycle time. You know, okay. the, whole, the whole Little's Law thing can work, you know, as much for Scrum as it can for Kanban. Okay. So, um... So then you would be looking at basically like flow metrics for both after you got to that making me commitments. Yeah. But well, and you can accomplish the same thing with both. It's just going to look a little different and have different characteristics. I mean, okay. you can have a predictable Kanban team if you're delivering, you know, within a predictable set of SLAs that are mm -hmm. aligned to your, your actual cycle times, you know, that's, that is as reliable as a scrum team that commits to, 
um, you know, a, a set of points every two weeks that's based upon you know, yesterday's weather. Cool. All right. Any final words of advice for people that have been listening to this? Things you want companies to consider? Because I, I appreciate you talking about it. I just want them to think about these things before they make decisions about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the big one is don't just go making reactionary changes to your tooling and your enterprise system. Change okay. within those needs to be a part of an overall change strategy within your organization wow. to take you where you're trying to go. So, you know, I don't just want to go start, you know, mucking up Jira or, or mucking up Rally, <laughs> yeah. you know, willy nilly. Yeah. Uh, I need to understand what my destination is so that I can begin to put together a, a path that's going to get us there okay. um, at, a, at a pace of change that's appropriate for the organization and appropriate with the other systems changes that yeah. are going along to support it. That's awesome. So I, I was kind of thinking the exact opposite of that. I was thinking I really want them to know if they go down the path like my client went down where they've defined these columns for the command teams, like I want you to be super clear about what you're giving up. I know why you're doing what you're doing, but I want you to know what you're sacrificing to get that. Yeah. Um, but they're probably so, both really important. Well, yeah. I mean, and if you have local autonomy – like you've gotten permissions down to the team level. Yeah. Right. And you're, you're looking at this more from a bottom up perspective, you know, and you have the ability to, you know, create your own permissions, create your own workflows, things like that. Yeah. yeah you can experiment, right? You should experiment. You should, if you have the conditions for that in your company, yeah, go ahead and do you know, it. Leverage it, leverage it for your benefit to be more responsive and adaptive, to be, you know, to, to foster a, a higher sampling rate on your continuous improvement experiments, things like that. Cool. Thank you, man. Um, so what if people want to get in touch with you like as a follow-up with questions? What's the best way to reach you? So probably the easiest way is my, uh, my email, uh, leadingagile.com. And I'm also okay. on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out and connect. Cool. All right. Thanks. I appreciate you making time for this and for helping me with my client. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime, Dave. 